0: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 141, Essin Hotness. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers for allowing us to bring you an ad-free episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of
1: like Voltron but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.
0: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And Anthony, happy Halloween to you, my friend.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. I know it's Halloween. I have two small children.
0: Ah, there you go. Well, Anthony and I are having some haunting of our computer equipment, so that's why this episode is... Just a bit late, but we wanted to make sure that we got you a treat on the holiday. So, we have a fantastic episode for you. We are talking about all the wonderful treats that are going on at Essen that, unfortunately, we do not have in our Halloween bags, but hopefully we will get them soon. So, if you're actually at Essen, don't forget your friends at, at Board Gamers Announced, because we'd love to get those games to the table. But, not to worry too much, we have our own convention coming up on this side of the state's. PAX Unplugged is less than three weeks away, Anthony.
1: Yeah, no kidding. We're almost there. So, got our passes in the mail today. Not the press passes, but the ones we paid for before we knew if we'd get press passes. <laughs> yes. So, we're definitely going.
0: We might even go twice. <laughs> we
1: might go twice. So, we we're 100% going to be there no matter what. Uh, very, very excited about it. I just found out this last week, too, that the Philadelphia Marathon is that Saturday. So, that should be fun. Jeez. <laughs> So don't drive down for one day. Just yeah. just my advice. <laughs>
0: so. Ugh. Well, it's going to be a lot going on, just like as it goes on in Gen Con and Origins. Always big events happening at the same time at board game conventions because everybody wants to be around the board gamers, right?
1: That is exactly what happened, we probably, tra- right?
0: Draws so much energy that everyone's like, we got to go to that city and do something clearly active because the rest of us are sitting for the entire time. <laughs> All right, so with all that fun said, let's actually get into the episode. So, Anthony, what is our question of the week?
1: All righty, so there was a recent announcement that caught some of us, not off guard per se, but it seemed a little interesting, to say the least. Fantasy Flight Games has launched a new studio, and it is called Fantasy Flight Interactive. It is a full-blown video game studio. They went out and got uh, video game veterans to run it. Uh, including a fellow behind the likes of Bioshock Infinite and other big games like that. So they're serious. They want to get into video games. They want to take some of their IPs and their games and turn them into more than just apps, more than just board games, kind of leverage all that intellectual property they've been building up over the years. So I asked people, what titles do you most want to see turned into video games? Um, And we got a lot of responses, but almost all of them fell into one of three categories. So we have Arkham files really any of those a lot of different answers but the arkham stuff Mm -hmm. we had terranoth universe Mm -hmm. so descent and all of its spin-offs and whatnot and then a whole bunch of people with wishful thinking (laughs) hoping that we'll get any of the other ips along the lines of star wars or game of thrones or any of that i personally think we will see arkham for sure it's an open ip nobody owns it they can do whatever they want with it they've written a ton of stuff for it Terranoth, they keep trying to shove on people, continuously fails, so I'm not (laughs) sure if they're going to keep investing in that. True, But the L5R universe, which they just paid a bunch of money for, that might be another ripe one too because they're throwing a lot of Rokugan at us.
0: Yeah, I think just based upon how well Hearthstone is doing and a lot of those other online card games, that would be the most logical choice.
1: Yeah, it wouldn't be that surprising. And like their only collectible card game right now is Star Wars, so they really can't do that. I think EA would have a a conniption fit. Sure. So I wouldn't be surprised to see an LCG from one of those categories that they're allowed to mess with. Okay. Or you never know. They could cut a deal. They're getting bigger. So you never know.
0: Yeah, I think all three possibilities would be fantastic. Obviously, I'd be leaning towards the fantasy side of Fantasy Flight Games. You know, anything in the Star Wars or Game of Thrones universe would be such a welcome addition to my tablet. But as you said, it's probably going to be something as far as Arkham or the Terranoff universe, which is also, you know, would be outstanding as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. It makes you wonder what type of game it would be, too. Maybe probably like a strategy, something turn-based. But we'll see.
0: Or maybe they'll go crazy and just do uh, TI4.
1: Oh, Um, man. (laughs) That'd be crazy. Four years from now. (laughs) So maybe TI5.
0: Yeah, I mean, these bigger, bigger games we talked about through the ages not so long ago that's a, a really really long game and ti4 is a really really long game so if you can shrink it down to a tablet and kind of deal with all the scoring and the the resource management maybe you can slim down that game time and it actually gets played a lot more yeah okay so a lot going on for fantasy flight now let's talk about what's going on with us so anthony what's your acquisition disorder for the week
1: all right so We're going to be talking about Essen today. So this is one of those games that's on that list. Uh, So a little sneak preview of that list that we're talking about soon. It's called Altiplano. It is from Reiner Stockhausen, the designer of Orleans and DLP games. So as you could guess, as the follow-up to Orleans and its bevy of expansions the last couple of years, it is a bag-building game. Uh, So it is basically taking some of the ideas from Orleans and trying new things with them. So basically setting different goals in every game and giving players different ways to try to achieve those different goals. So this time around, instead of uh, all these different citizens and people in the Middle Ages, we have, uh, you're basically farming for goods and trading goods and storing goods in South American highlands of the Andes. So it's got this beautiful Peruvian style of art on the cover with this goofy looking llama. And everything inside the box looks to kind of fit that theme as well. Love the artwork here, um, it's by Clemens Franz. So it's I love Orleans, I love the bag building mechanic. You don't see it that much. And obviously uh, the designer here has experience with that and has done really good uh, with Orleans and the expansions which have just made the game better. So I'm excited to see this one. Uh, I think thematically it looks really, really cool. So it'd be pretty fun to see what the next evolution of that formula is. Uh, Once this game finally comes West.
0: Yeah, count me in on that. I really love that bag building mechanic. As you said, Orleans is a fantastic game. A little weak in the base game, but really kind of punches it up with all the additional expansions. So this upgrade or this transformation, I think it's going to do a lot of good for the game. So this is going to probably be an automatic buy for me as soon as I get my hands on it. All right, so talking about automatic buys, I have a expansion that probably will bring back a, I guess, a modern-day classic gateway game to your table, and that's Emotep. And I'm talking about Emotep, A New Dynasty. This is coming out of Essen. Now, if you know Emotep, it's all about placing these giant brick pillars into all these different areas that are kind of basically little mini game areas. So you have your bricks, you put them on the ships, somebody moves the ships, and then you do that little mini game, and it scores at... Different times depending on that little board. Obviously, the person with the most victory points wins. What basically this new expansion does is it adds five new places. So, typically in the base game, you have the A side and you have the B side. And eventually, because it's more of a gateway game, those sides get a little played out. So, five new places are great. It has 14 new market cards. Those are the cards that are typically on top of the board that give you special abilities. It gives you end game bonus points. What's different here is is these seven god cards. This allows you to kind of wager who's going to win each of those different areas. I like this mechanic a lot. It reminds me of Camel Up a little bit as far as I'm behind, but if I'm smart enough, I can figure out or I can play it such a way that I might not win that section, but I can help somebody else win and score points for that. Really, really nice mechanic. I'm glad to see that here in this game. There's also one of the tiles here that actually has chariot races which is really fun. I love to have different types of meeples. This looks really great as far as that's concerned. And just really a welcome addition to Emotep to bring it back out to the table. Great gateway game. Nice, chunky, well-produced components. It's just overall a really fine game from Phil Walker-Harding and Cosmo Games. They've done it again.
1: Yeah, this is great. This game's been sitting on my shelf for far too many months unplayed. So this will definitely get it out again.
0: Absolutely. All right, so that's everything that's hitting our acquisition disorders now on to our at the table. So, Anthony, what has been hitting your table this week on this All Hallows' Eve?
1: All right, so I don't know that it's necessarily spooky, but it is kind of weird. (laughs) I'm going to talk about Anachrony. Okay. So, Anachrony is from Mind Clash Games. So, they did Tricarion, and most recently, they launched Cerebria on Kickstarter. Designers here are Richard Amon, Victor Peter, and David Turchi. And it is an economic science fiction game. It's it's a euro, it's definitely a euro, but it has a lot of theme folded and melded into the gameplay here. Unfortunately, due to the complexity of the game, I cannot give you a full run through of how this thing works and it is difficult to kind of wrap your head around it in full because of how kind of, I hate saying weird because it sounds, you know, derogatory. It's weird in a very good way, but it's weird the way that the theme kind of works. So, the idea is that it's the future, it's about 600 years in the future. Earth is basically been dealing with all these catastrophes and all these crazy weather conditions and overpopulation and all this stuff. And there's a new cataclysm on the way. And so they are trying to do everything they can to progress and move forward and be prepared for that and come out on the other end ahead with all these resources and this mysterious new substance that they now have access to. So in terms of actually how that all works, have these mechs that you can place basically in a worker placement you know, mechanism. There's a main board. There's multiple places to place them. You're going to power them up every round. So you choose how many you have the first four rounds of the game. You can have up to six. Uh, but the more of them you place out, the more you have to spend from your resources and also the less water you get. Then you need water for lots and lots of stuff. You have workers that you will recruit and they come in four different varieties. So, you know, scientists and engineers and administrators and then geniuses who can do any of the other three kind of wild cards. And then these different workers can be used to activate different actions on the board. Most of the workers can activate most of the actions, although not all. But you get bonuses from some locations if you put the right worker there. So it's important to kind of match them up as much as you can. You will be building different buildings. So you'll be gathering different resources and mining with your mech and your worker to get these different resources. I can't remember what they all are. It's like gold and titanium and neutronium and something else. Hmm. But basically you get a different combination of these cubes. You go to the building space, you build a thing, you spend those cubes, you get a building now. And the buildings have new actions you can take. Um, The cool thing about the actions on the building is you don't need the mech to do it. You can activate it just with the worker. So it kind of builds this efficiency and economy into your personal player board over time that's different from everybody else's. So this goes on for four rounds, and during those four rounds, you're moving up on this timeline. The timeline is linear, but you can go backwards or forwards in it using an action from one of the buildings that you'll build. So once you've built the building that lets you go back in time, you can shoot back, and during the course of the game, you'll be placing these warp tokens out, and this happens every round. So every round, you can choose to put out zero, one, or two warp tokens, uh, and they stay on that round's tile. So you can move forward. It remains there. But when you go back in time, you can pay resources to remove it and you will then move up on the time travel track, which is worth two points every time you do that. This is important for a couple of reasons. One, you get the points. Two, you get rid of a possible negative that can happen to you. If you have the most of those tokens on any tile, you'll have to roll a die every round, which can hurt you in the long run. So as you can tell, there's a lot of stuff going on here. There's You have a limited number of action points. There's variable player powers There's the worker placement component. There's a very strong thematic uh, integration here with all these different cool things and this beautiful artwork. The base game comes with cardboard hexes for those mechs. And there is an upgrade that you can buy separately that comes with miniatures, which I did pick up, but I can tell you don't actually need it to enjoy the game. I mean, I do, but you do not. need the max you don't need to spend the extra 40 bucks if you don't want to it you would play more more like your traditional euro with all that cardboard but overall this game is fantastic I didn't even delve into the solo mode um, which I did talk about on the other podcast every night is game night if you want to hear about that um, which is fantastic as well and all the different ways you can play this game there's variants out of the box there's more variants that come with that expansion there's just so much goodness here and despite how complex it ends up being with all these different mechanisms it plays very smoothly plays very quickly plays very efficiently i found it only took 10 or 15 minutes to legitimately teach the game once people wrap their heads around all these different you know icons on the board it's it's just the actual graphic layout and the way the rules are designed is very very clever so they spent a lot of time on it which i As a kickstarted game, you have to appreciate because so often these games are so fiddly and messy and it looks fiddly and messy and it just happens not to be. So Anachrony is definitely a buy. If you can find a copy, definitely track it down. It is pretty solid. And uh, I was surprised. It's one that I missed on Kickstarter, had overlooked, just looked too crazy for me, but really glad I stumbled across this at Gen Con.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna need those minis. Just just saying. <laughs> just... No, I said I need them. So <laughs> you can't have them. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, this the game looks fantastic and it's such a different take on you know the Euro game genre, at least at least the theme setting. So anything time travel, anything with this nice crunchy Euro flavor to it is something that's a welcome change. As you said, as far as the price point's concerned, it would feel a little incomplete. I know that's a little bit of the You know, acquisition disorder kind of kicking in there. But, man, it's got to have the miniatures. It's futuristic. I don't know. I can't play with cardboard. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if it helps for people,
1: you know, to justify it, it is the miniatures. But there is also a variant and an addition expansion in the box. So there is more content as well.
0: Sold. Done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that was one of the things that was keeping me off the Kickstarter was the overall price was pretty high. But I'm glad to see that it actually is deserving of the money as far as the gameplay is concerned
1: oh absolutely
0: all right so i want to bring you a new game that came out as well this is klondike rush from ryan lockett and obviously from ryan lockett the artist and once again obviously from red raven games now klondike rush is a new game just came out here in 2017 and basically what you're looking at is a bidding stock game that's set in a gold rush period, wintry, mountainous environment, gold was found. And four different companies rush in there to build up mines to harvest that gold. And you are trying to buy the most stocks in the most profitable companies in order to score the most money. And money equals victory points in this game. So pretty simple as far as that's concerned. Now, the production out here is beautiful because... You have this snowy white mountain cap, and you use these little different color meeple mines basically. The little meeple mines that you place on the board to allow you to get tokens. Now, these tokens are different resources in the game. They might be hides, they might be fishes. And you're collecting these things because in the game, not only are you collecting stocks in order to be able to get money from those companies as they move up the track, but you're also trying to complete contracts. So completing those contracts will also give you money, which is great because, once again, money is victory points. But those contracts completed will give you money throughout the game that's going to allow you to spend more money on contracts. So throughout the game, you are basically on your turn. You are flipping over one of these cards that relates to one of the companies, on the card itself, it's going to tell you whether or not to place a mine or two mines even. It'll tell you if that player gets a contract if they win that bid. And it'll tell you how many stocks that card's worth. It could be worth one or two stocks in that particular company. Great artwork here. And then basically, it goes to a bidding phase. Now, in this bidding mechanic, you get just one bid. So you're to make it really good because it's not going to come back around to you. Now, there is a variant you can play with like a last bid card. Everyone would get this one last bid card that they can play once in the game. And then once it's played, it's done. This is a little bit of frustrating mechanic for people because it's kind of hard to figure out, especially early on, what the value of these different stocks are worth. So the rulebook tells you typically look around four to six. In our games, it was going for about eight to ten, if not more, just because people wanted to complete those contracts and then people who weren't able to get contracts and put mines out to give them tokens to allow them to complete those objectives were not making the additional money. And because of that, they were falling behind and they had a very difficult time catching up. Now, you're not only trying to score money for these mines and score these different tokens for this contract, but there's also this kind of yeti that's you know, marching around the mountain, and if you collect the most tokens of the Yeti or the snow monster here, you will get a $25 reward for that. So just kind of another random thing out there. In addition, uh, there's a little errata that comes with the game that basically explains that the person who collects the most contracts will score 15 additional dollars. The second most person will score 10 additional dollars. So if you want to go for contracts, you can do that as well to score a couple extra bucks. But basically, in the end of the game, all of the companies are going to max out no matter what. The real question is, you are given a card that allows you to cash out at some point during the game. Now, ideally, you don't cash out until the very end of the game, which you're going to already cash out when the stocks are at their max, so you'd be able to cash out twice. But all of us in the, in, in the games that I played, we ran out of money at some point, so we cashed out somewhere during the game, I cashed out at the $40 range. Some other people cashed out the $70 range. And at the end of the game, you count up your money. Whoever has the most money wins the game. This game has a little bit of an odd issue slash error slash possible future expansion because if you place all the mines out, you only reach 9 on a track that has 10. Myself and pretty much everyone who's played this game on BGG have tried to figure this out. Supposedly, there's an expansion coming for this game that was either taken out from the original game or is planned for a future game but basically there is something missing from this game and you can feel it it's it's a lightweight bidding stock game everyone kind of enjoyed it but everyone was a little perplexed by it and if you do fall behind early you do get left out of the game great production nice time the game is a play i would recommend maybe checking this game out once the expansion comes out Because I think you would probably want the full game experience. So that's Klondok Rush.
1: It's always so disappointing. I hate to hear when you almost need the expansion for it to be complete. It's nice if it's a nice-to-have. And you and I both know we buy it anyways. But when you have to buy it, it's like, well, you just increase the price of the game.
0: Yeah, there's something missing from this game. And it just... There's just something generally missing. And and like I said earlier, especially for the people who don't get those early stocks and are able to place down those early mines that give them the early contracts, you're kind of locked out. You know, it's a frustrating experience because there really is no catch-up mechanic in that game and it can quickly spiral out of control. But overall, a nice game, a light bidding stock market game. If you don't have one of those collections, you might want to try this one. All right, so that's everything for At The Table. Now on to our feature review. So for this feature review, we are talking everything about Essen. Essen typically has the hottest games going on, and especially in the Euro field, you definitely want to check out the Essen games. They typically hit US, I don't know, a little bit later to way, way later to we'll never see them in the United States for distribution. So we're going to talk about the best games just to kind of get you interested, put it on your radar, and hopefully it'll get to your table at some point. So, Anthony, what are the hottest games at Essen that everyone's talking about?
1: All right. So we got to benefit a little bit here since our technology decided to take a long, long sleep on us.
0: And we should probably say that we've already recorded this episode, (laughs) but the goblins got to the computer around the Halloween time. And no matter what you think about this episode, the last episode was amazing. Yeah, and you'll never know. You'll You'll never never know. know. We were so funny and witty, and it was short enough, but long enough and detailed enough. And I don't know. So it happens. So we're recording a second time. Yeah. So the games are even hotter this time. Well, yeah, but we get the benefit of it's
1: now after Essen. We recorded the first one before (laughs) Essen. These are the ones we thought would be hot. And now we know what was hot.
0: Ah, And it's
1: more or less the same as what people thought. But still, confirmation, guys. (laughs) Uh, um, All right. So this is a combination of what people are talking about and the most thumbs over on the BGG um, SN release list. Uh, So combining those two just because those thumbs sometimes correlate to Kickstarter shipping, such as the case with Clans of Caledonia, which I think is legitimately hot and people are excited for but also is currently shipping to backers. So it's a little bit skewed there. So the big, big stuff that came out that you may have seen or will soon be able to get your hands on, Pandemic Legacy Season 2 was released globally the first day of Essen. So everybody has a copy of that, including everybody at Essen, but it was very, very hot over there. Ex Libris also launched the the first day of Essen. So that's out in stores here as well as in Europe. And then Charterstone is going to be out in a month. And so I know that the lines for that at SM were incredibly long for both the English and German editions. That one will be available for the rest of us in about six weeks. So those are all really hot. But the rest of these were brand new, not seen anywhere else. You can't get them anywhere else. Maybe won't be able to get them ever again. So um, let's hope not. But these are the, the hottest of the hotness games that we're hoping we see at PAX. Top of the list... For, for me personally, and for a lot of people, is the Gaia project. This is the sci fi plastic molded $100 space edition of Terra Mystica. So, all that sounds awesome, minus the price, but it has a solo edition. So, for me, that at least makes up the $20 difference. It's on the boat, according to Z Man, coming to the US. So, we should have it probably in December, um, would be my guess. But At the moment, everybody at Essen was able to get a copy. So that that was a big, hot one. Azul. This was released by Plan B Games. It's their first non-century release. So this was these beautiful little ceramic tiles, abstract style, tile laying game similar to to a lot of those types of games, but a little more abstracted because you don't have kind of the artwork and everything built around that. So a lot of people were very into that. Rudiger Dorn's new game, Montana, was released. So, this is about the settlements in Montana in the 19th century as people traveled west. So, there's a little bit of, um, there's some auction, a little bit of worker placement, uh, and just generally building up your own settlement in, in the out west, which I, it's been a kind of a popular theme lately. One that I actually didn't have on our list last time we recorded. So, good thing we're re recording is the new Matt Gertz game, Transatlantic. So, this one is about development of the giant ships in the golden age of ocean steamers. And it's the hey, it's the guy who did Concordia and Navigador, which are both fantastic games. So anytime you get Matt Gertz, you know there's going to be a little rondelle and you know the game's going to be good. So <laughs> will it be amazing? We'll see, but it will be good. Rajas of the Ganges is a new one from Hutch, and it looks like R&R Games will be publishing it out west for us. So kind of in that Ulm and Toria level of family level Euro games. So I know it's been a little hit or miss with some people, but um, it looks beautiful and it's a very interesting theme. So definitely checking that out. Noria is this beautiful looking game, which I don't know anything about except for the artwork is by Clemens Franz and Michael Benzel. And it is the first release from Sophia Wagner, who picked up the Spiel des Jahres Fellowship last year. So lots of pedigree, lots of buzz on this one, and it'll be interesting to see what people say about it uh, as it comes out. The new game from Michael Kiesling is the Heaven and Ale from Spiel. I don't know who will be releasing this now, just because of the kind of shifting um, allegiances and ownership of, of this company um, recently, but it, it was very hot. A lot of people were very excited about it and picked it up. Uh, it's about making beer, at uh, <laughs> uh, monks making beer in the Middle Ages. We have Agra, which Chris and I had a chance to check out at Gen Con. This is big, beautiful, fantastic board designed by uh, Michael Keller, who did La Grana and Solarius Mission, which I had a chance to play from, came out from Essen last year. Has not come out West yet, so... We'll see when Quinted gets this one out for us. This is another Michael Menzel illustrated game. It And I can say, having actually seen it and taking photos of it and touched it, it is very beautiful. Pulsar 2849. I talked about this last week. This is the new game from Vladimir Suchi and CGE. So it's a dice drafting Euro. I'm all for that. I always like dice in my Euros if it's done properly and it's in space. So a little heavier uh, roll for the galaxy will certainly be welcome. And then we had, I mentioned Clans of Caledonia already. Um, Whistle Stop was also released at, at over there. Um, Altiplano I talked about today was another very hot game. So as you can see, lots and lots of games that everybody was rushing for. Lots of Euros, really, is, is the takeaway here. Games that we didn't get at Gen Con, and we're hoping, hoping people bring for us at PAX so we get a chance to play them.
0: Okay, so that's everything that's hot at Essen, so be sure to check those out, and be sure to keep a lookout when those things hit your table. Alright, so that's everything for us for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the seance table.